we've talked about it before, as Christians, we have an upside-down gospel. As Christians, we adhere to a backwards gospel. As followers of Jesus, really, our saving good news stands as a paradox to conventional thought. Now, I want you to think about that for a little bit this evening. According to our gospel, in our rebellious sin, we earn our punishment, yet in no way are we able to earn our salvation. According to our gospel, our master, worthy of all glory, the Lord, serves the lowly slave in humility, setting aside his own glory. That makes no sense. According to our gospel, the God who hates sin, abhors sin, can have no part of sin, becomes sin in order to save those who would run to sin. How backwards is that? According to our gospel, rebels, enemies of God, haters of God, are so loved by that same God. According to our gospel, a promised, long-awaited, mighty Savior comes to deliver his people, dying in the attempt, and it is in that dying that they are delivered. According to our gospel, the righteous judge, correct in his guilty verdict of sinners, relents by taking the punishment upon himself, though himself innocent. Yes, our gospel is an upside-down gospel. Well, tonight we're going to see that paradox pushed even further in our verses this evening. Tonight our message is entitled, Through Grief to Gladness. Through Grief to Gladness. Tonight we're in John chapter 16, Verses 16 through 22. John chapter 16, tonight verses 16 through 22. Through grief to gladness. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 16, Jesus is speaking. A little while and you will no longer see me. And again a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing He is telling us, a little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. So they were saying, what is this he says, a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Dear Father, we come tonight. We rejoice tonight in you. We're thankful right now in you. We're thankful for the forgiveness of our sin. We're thankful for hope that endures, that stands tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity to come and on this Monday night to worship you and to praise you and most impressive to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would speak. I know it's your voice. I know it's your word. I pray, Lord, that we would hear, that we would receive. I pray we'd be changed. I pray, Lord, for some that are here tonight that do not know you. I pray that in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that tonight they would turn to you. Tonight they would trust you. Lord, we again rejoice in you. We lay this at your feet, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So far as Jesus and the disciples have traveled from the upper room, making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus has tried to lift their spirits by telling them of the coming of the Holy Spirit. He has told them they're not left to their own devices. They are not for sure abandoned, but that the Holy Spirit of God will be with them. More than that, he will indwell them. Jesus has told them that this will be better, even better, actually translates more profitable than if he stayed himself. Now, that's a tremendous thing, but he says, it is more profitable for you, it is better for you that I would leave and that the Holy Spirit would come. And through the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit, the disciples will carry out their blessed work. I want to start off by reminding us tonight, we have the same call, we have the same commission, We are to boldly carry the good news of Jesus. Literally, the Bible says here, there, and everywhere. And just like them, we carry out our blessed work through and with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, that's what we've seen. That's what we know. I want us to be sure of that. We have the same work. We have the same tremendous call. And we, like them, we do it through and with the Holy Spirit of God. Friends, get that tonight. You're not just called to do something great. You are built, you are gifted, you are empowered by God himself to do something great. Understand that. You are, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are empowered, gifted to do something great for the kingdom of God. Let's go. Let's go. We are empowered to carry the good news of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has been talking to them to encourage them. And then tonight, as part of that, he warns them. You see, it would be a disservice to not tell somebody the full story, to not tell them the issues at hand that they will face, to not tell them the hardships that will come. Now, sometimes people do that to us. They'll try to lure us into doing something, and they'll tell us all the high parts, all the good parts, and they'll neglect to tell us the hard parts. Well, Jesus tells them, these are the things you will face. Jesus tells them again, coming for them is great pain. Coming for them is great suffering and sadness. Now, the paradox he tells them is that out of that will come not only great joy, but permanent joy. Out of that will come permanent joy. 
All right, let's go to verse 16. A little while and you will no longer see me, Jesus says. And again a little while and you will see me. Now that's a similar statement to what Jesus had earlier told the Jews. A little while and you will no longer see me. Now, we know he's talking about his death. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about his burial. At this point, it truly was a short time. It truly was a little while, and they would no longer see Jesus. To me, that's one of the strange things of death. A person that was just there, and you could see them, you could, you could hear them. Maybe at that point you could even talk to them. They were just there. Those were their clothes. That was their chair. That's the car that they drove. They were just there. And then in an instant, they're gone. And you can see their stuff, but they're not there. You can listen for their voice, you'll not hear it. And in an instant, they're gone. Jesus says, in a little while you'll not see me. But then he says, in an, again a little while, and you will see me. Now, this is talking about his resurrection. Now, there are some that say it's talking about his second coming, and they say that's what this is talking about. I do not think so. Uh, number one, uh, 2,000 plus years, I believe, would change the idea of in a little while. That's my first reason. The second reason, it would be hard to take joy in Jesus saying, you'll see me. Now, it won't be in your lifetime, but you will see me. And so I believe this is talking about his post-resurrection appearances. In a little while, I'll be gone. But in a little while, you will see me again. Verse 16, again, a little while, and you will no longer see me. And a little, again, a little while, and you will see me. Verse 17, some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. Now, understand here in verse 17, the disciples are still confused. Now, on their behalf, we know the rest of the story. We're familiar with the rest of the story. We know the account. And so when we hear this account, it does not seem that odd to us. But I want you to think about them tonight. For them, this is the strangest thing ever. This is the oddest thing ever. Really, it is the craziest thing ever. First, the fact that the Messiah has come but will now die, that was not expected. They can't imagine that. Second, that he would submit to this death and not try to avoid it. That doesn't make any sense. That's radical. And third, that this death would be a good thing. They can't understand that. That doesn't make any sense. That's too much for them. Then he says, you will see me now. Then you won't see me when I'm dead. And then you'll see me again. And their main holdup is that he says, He's going to the Father. So they're confused. They do not understand. And they are talking to each other. The verse says, what is this thing he is telling us? What is this thing he is telling us? I looked that up. In English, out of the Greek, it translates, 
What say what? What say say what? You're, we're going to see you, and then we're not going to see you, and then we're, then we're going to see you, and you're going to your father. What is this thing you're telling us? Verse 18. It doesn't really mean that. <laughs> Don't quote me. Verse 18. So they were saying, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. The verb tense here in the 18th verse, they kept saying it. What, what does he mean a little while? What, what does this mean? Is he talking about an hour? Is he talking about a week? Is it today? Is it today he's talking about? Is it some other time? Maybe tomorrow? What is he talking about in a little while? They are perplexed. Verse 19. Jesus knew that they wished to question him. They wished they, they could. They, they wanted to. And he said to them, are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Verse 19, Jesus knew their hearts and he knew the dilemma of their hearts. It's interesting here, they do not ask him. They're walking with him. They have a deep relationship with him. It's an interesting thing that they do not just ask him, but they talk to each other about it. I wonder how many times we do not remember. He already knows our issue. Sometimes we think, well, I don't, I don't know. i got to hide it from him. He doesn't know my heart. I wonder how many times we, we wonder that he doesn't, he doesn't see the thing we're wrestling with. We think, you know what, I'll, I'll figure it out. He doesn't, he doesn't need to know about this. And they're the same way. They do not ask him. Jesus says, are you deliberating together about this? Now, I want you to notice this. They will understand. After Jesus' death, after his resurrection, they will perfectly understand. It will make perfect sense upon that time. They will understand. And so notice here, he doesn't try and explain it any further. He doesn't spend any of his precious time trying to tell them all about it. No, he goes here to the heart of the matter. He goes to the real heart of the matter. Verse 19. Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating about this that I said a little while, and you will not see me and again a little while, and you will see me? Verse 20 now. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve but your grief will be turned into joy. Again, another statement Jesus starts off and he says, truly, truly, this is a serious statement. It is a statement to be certain of. It literally translates, listen, this is the truth. Truly, truly, listen, this is the truth. He tells them, you will weep and lament. You will weep. And lament. The word for weep means to wail aloud, out loud, to cry out loud. This is not to whimper. This is not to cry. This is actually to wail out loud, to cry out loud. The word lament means to be deeply pained, to hurt in your grief. It means to mourn. He says, in this little while, 
You will hurt. You will be brokenhearted. You will wail out. You won't be able to keep it in. You're going to hurt. Can you imagine as the arrest of Jesus occurs and they roughly snatch him up, they, they roughly take him and they grab him and they hustle him off, and, and these disciples, they go a different direction. They watch him as he goes, but they're going a different direction. Can you imagine as they watch from a distance as Jesus is whipped, and he's been over this stump, and he's whipped, and they can hear the whip as it goes across his back. They can hear him moan as it hits him, but they're, they're somewhere in the distance. Yes, they were scared for themselves, but also this was Jesus and he is suffering, and he is beaten, he's whipped, and they can see it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine as they see him, as he hangs on the cross with the nails in place? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine after he's in the grave, he's taken down and he's placed in the grave, can you imagine as, as now silence prevails and, and, and the, the regret begins to set in, the loss is real. Jesus is gone. We won't hear his voice any longer. Our friend, our Lord is gone. He's gone. His voice is silent. Can you imagine as the grief sets in? And Jesus says, and they will wail out loud. They'll hurt to their very cores. Their hearts will break and they'll wail out loud. But he says the world will rejoice. The word translates, be exceedingly glad. The world will rejoice. They will be exceedingly glad. The Jewish leaders, they have rid themselves of this threat, and so they are exceedingly glad. The Jewish people, they have upheld their faith. They have defended their faith, and so they are exceedingly glad. The Romans, they had killed another infidel, and they've shown their strength, and so they rejoice. They're exceedingly glad. Satan had killed the Messiah, and so he rejoices. He glories in his victory, and the world is exceedingly glad. But, notice that word, but. But, the story doesn't end there. But, our gospel is an upside-down gospel. Praise the Lord. But, the greatest paradox is about to be revealed. But your grief, it translates your sorrow, will be turned into joy. Praise the Lord for an upside-down gospel. In Psalm 30, David writes, and he says, Weeping may last for the night. Oh, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Listen, we say joy comes in the morning. It's better than that. A shout of joy comes in the morning. Praise the Lord for an upside down gospel. Jesus gives us an awesome explanation. Verse 21. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. The Bible says when a woman has labor, when she's in labor, she has pain. Now, I think it's interesting that goes all the way back to Genesis. That goes back to the cost 
of sin, but when she's in labor, she has pain. Jesus says, in fact, in that time, she is in anguish. And so it's not just pain, she is in anguish. It means great suffering, tearful pain. But, same word, but, in anguish, but, when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. The Bible says because of the joy that a child has been born into the world, she no longer remembers the anguish. I want you to notice here it doesn't say there was no anguish. It doesn't try here to diminish the pain and the anguish. It says the pain has been replaced now by a greater joy. The joy of life replaces the memory of pain. That's what Jesus says. The joy of life pushes away the memory of the anguish. And what came through pain and suffering now exists in joy. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. The word remember means to hold in your mind. It means to take and to keep in your mind. So understand this, the pain is real. The, the pain was real. The, 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 the words are weeping and wailing. They were real. The, the crying out was real. But they're held in your mind no longer. Now let me say this right here. <laughs> I should not talk here about this example. I should not. I know nothing about this example. <laughs> I, I would be a mess to sit here and act like I know what I'm talking about. I know nothing about this example. I cannot speak on this example other than it's in the Word of God. But I do know it's true. I do know it's true. And you ask me how. Because women keep having kids. You see, the joy of life must truly override the memory of pain. And that must be what happens. I can't tell you how that works, but evidently the joy of a life, the joy of a baby, must truly outride the memory of pain or else we'd have died out a whole long time ago. And so it is true. Verse 22. Therefore, that's the example. Therefore, you also, you too, have grief now, he doesn't say you don't have grief. He doesn't say it's not a big deal. He doesn't say your heart's not broken. He says you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. What a tremendous promise. What a great truth that is. You have sorrow now, and even more pain is coming, but no question, no doubt, no second thought, no worry, no debate. Jesus says, you will see me again, and your heart will rejoice. He says, and you will be exceedingly glad. The best part of that is this. And when you see me again, and when you see me again, no one 
will take your joy from you. Listen to me tonight. That is the truth of a believer. That is the truth of all believers. When we have seen the resurrected Jesus, when we have beheld the resurrected Jesus, when we have seen him in faith, no one can ever take our joy. The enemy that would like to see it gone won't see it gone. The persecutor that thinks they can take it, they can't take it. The doctor that gives you a terrible diagnosis, it's not gone. Even Satan, who is bent on stealing it, can't steal your joy. When you have joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, it has replaced your hurt, it has replaced your sorrow, it has caused the memory of your sin and your shame to be gone, and we have joy in Jesus. We have joy in Jesus. We have joy in Jesus. And if you know who he is, it cannot be stolen cannot be snatched away. Let me read some ancient words to you. Going back to Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12, listen to these words. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. He wears his gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. We have joy in Jesus Christ. What a Savior. What a Savior. What a Savior. Here you sit tonight, and I don't know what sorrow you've walked through. Some of you, it's been pretty tough. Some of you, it's been pretty heavy. I don't know what pain you've walked through. I don't know how many nights you've been curled in the bed and you can't breathe. You can't straighten up and you can't find where you're going to turn the next day. I don't know how many, how many times you've, you've walked through days that were so hard you didn't know if you were going to make it. But I want to tell you the good news of the gospel of Jesus, of Jesus Christ is this. We have joy that's not stolen away in Jesus. Whatever thing you've walked through, whatever diagnosis you've heard, whatever things happened in your life, your relationships, we have joy fixed and settled in the person of Jesus. It cannot be stolen away. Do you know when we start to see Jesus like that, the memory of that other will fade out and we'll just see the joy of Jesus. What a Savior. What a Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear me, Father, we come, and I'm thankful for peace. It wasn't dependent on a circumstance. For forgiveness, it wasn't dependent on a work. For joy, it wasn't tied to the things of these world. For life, eternal. Lord, I'm thankful for all of that in the person of Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that when you see our hearts are broken, when you see the, the pain we walk in, that you love us so much. You come, you humble yourself, taking on skin, coming as a man, but not just a man, as a, as a bondservant. Humbling yourself, not just as a bondservant, but even to the point of death. That through that death, we'd have life, that we'd have peace, that we'd have joy. Lord, I'm thankful for that. 
Lord, I pray today for two things. I pray for believers today to be renewed in their joy. It is settled in you. It's fixed and finished in you. I pray for believers to be renewed in their joy tonight. And I pray for some that do not know you to find joy for the first time tonight. I pray as they've looked every which way, as they find chaos and trouble and hurt in their heart, they find peace in the forgiveness of sin through our Savior, Jesus, tonight. Lord, I pray that you work in that manner. Lord, I'm thankful that you love us. And the best we know how, we want to we tell you we love you. We thank you. And I pray, Lord, now in this time of invitation coming, I pray that you would move. I pray that you would work. I pray that you'd be glorified in our heart's responses. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close tonight with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you, it would, it would be a shame to tell you about joy in Jesus and not tell you the good news of Jesus. And so I want to tell you tonight the good news of Jesus. And it, it's as simple and as deep as this at the same time. All of us are sinners. In our sin, we've earned a punishment. In our sin, we're, we're separated from a holy God. And I believe we feel that. I believe we know that. And so we go through life thinking, you know what? I'm going to find a peace. I'm going to find a relationship. I'm going to find some things that are going to get right. And I'll once again be whole. I'll feel good again. And it does not happen. We're broken in our relationship from a holy God. But the good news is, is this. God loves us. And in his grace, he's willing to forgive us. No sin too big, no distance too far, he'll forgive us. And so seeing our condition, seeing our pain, our hurt, he sends his only begotten son. He comes, he lives a life, he never sins, not one time. Though tempted in every way as we're tempted, he does not sin. Because he does not sin, he's able to go to the cross as the perfect lamb of God. That's what he does. We wonder, well, what's he, what's he go to the cross for? What's that mean? He goes to the cross to pay the penalty for sin, to pay the penalty in grace for sinners. That's what he does. He goes to the cross, he settles it there. God's wrath towards sin is poured out on him. Should have been poured out on us, it's poured out on him. He pays for it in his own blood with his own life. He dies paying for sin. It's finished. He said that. It is settled in him. He's pulled off of that cross. He's placed in a grave. There he is literally, actually, physically dead. He's died my death and your death. He's placed in that grave. Three days later, he walks out on Easter Sunday morning. And he walks out. And the Bible says there's going to be a, 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 a shout of joy. Well, that shout sounds a lot like this. He is not here, for he is risen. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is alive. He is not here. That is the shout of joy. And our Savior stands, and he's defeated death. He's paid for sin. He stands as the risen king, the victor. The Bible says this. If you'll put your faith in him, if you'll put your trust in him, not of any work, not of any checklist of rules, not of any church membership. If you'll put your faith in him, trusting him as your savior, you shall be saved is what the Bible says. Sins forgiven, relationship restored, redeemed, eternal life, peace with God, joy that cannot be taken, available in the person of Jesus Christ. Listen tonight, if you've never trusted Jesus, settle it tonight. If you're sitting there saying, you know what, I heard this many times and I've faked my way through this many years, but I don't really have peace, settle it tonight. If you're here and you say, I've never heard this before, but I want that kind of peace, settle it tonight. Call upon the name of the Lord, professing with your mouth what you believe in your heart. The Bible says this, you shall be saved.
Call upon Jesus tonight. He will save you tonight. It'll be finished tonight. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, if you're listening some other way and you've never trusted Christ, my call tonight is this. Turn to Jesus. Call upon him. He'll save you tonight. Trust Jesus tonight. Maybe you're here and you've made that decision, but you've never followed in believer's baptism. The Bible, the New Testament's always by immersion. It's always after a person's saved. It's not part of salvation. It's not before salvation. Maybe you're here and you'd say, I want that testimony to stand in my life. I want a witness to, to who my Savior is, Jesus. You come, and it'll be a great day of testimony, of celebration. We'll set a date, and we'll celebrate in your baptism. Maybe you're looking for a church home, and you've prayed about it. And I want to say, don't you move a step if you haven't prayed about it. And God has led you here. You come as well, and together we'll uphold his word. We'll preach his gospel until he comes again for his glory, his name's sake. Maybe on this Monday night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe you want to pray for this effort. Maybe I don't, I don't even know. Maybe nobody knows what's going on in your heart. But I want to tell you what, nothing is too big and nothing is too small for the throne of grace of our Savior, Jesus. I'm going to ask that no one stir about, no one head for an exit. You pray for those who are making decisions. As we stand and sing, if God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.